Uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather around the word. God, I pray that you'll prepare every heart, no matter where they're found, all across this country. I pray that you'll prepare each heart for the word that's about to go forth. I pray for those whose faith is wavering. I pray that you'll bolster their faith. I pray for those who have uh, ideas and big dreams and callings that you've had in their lives for years that um, that calling now seems faded. I pray that you'll remind them and reignite passion with the word that we're all about to hear in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, what often happens in our church, we have four communicators that teach the word of God. Uh, and so we have the luxury of whenever um, this Tuesday was that I felt that my voice was not going to hold up. And so I've been talking a whole lot. And so I decided uh, I'd call one of the people on the bench to come up and to teach the word of God. But we've got a bench that is a stellar bench, one of the best in the whole country. And so today you're going to hear, yeah, you ought to give God thanks for that, for sure. Um, you've got, you've got, um, you've got, whenever I need a break, I've got, I can call on Jada, I can call on Brian Loretz, I can call on one of our campus pastors, which really, really blesses us to know that you will never not be properly fed anytime you come to church or join us online. And I'm telling you, here's what my commitment to you is. You'll, you'll never have a communicator on the weekend that is, that, is, that is not equal or better than I am. You'll never have it. And the reason is because I care too much about you. So when I feel 80%, I don't want to give you 80%. I want to give you 100% so we get somebody off the bench to come up with their 100%. So I can get an extra week to get up to 100% so that the body of Christ never suffers. Will you honor God for that, please? Everybody, will you honor God for that? Yeah. So today on Tuesday, I called uh, Jada and I said, hey, Jay, I need you to go. Usually I get a fight. I didn't get a fight this time. The Lord has been working mightily in our household, somebody. Anyways, and so in a moment, that's what you're going to hear. Now, one concern is that whenever Jada comes up, she gets a little nervous. I don't know why. On Tuesday, she's fine. She's just like, oh, yeah, what's up, girls? Whatever. Uh, but on the weekend, she gets a little nervous. So I need you to encourage her spirit as she comes and delivers the word of God. Here's what you need to know about our church. We're very clear about what we believe. We believe every person can get every gift that God has to the body of Jesus Christ which means every person can use those gifts for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe there is a distinction between an office and a gift, but as far as a gift is concerned, everybody gets it. So Jada is going to come and teach the word of God, and I want you, family, to help me welcome my wife, your first lady. Will you stand and help me honor her as she comes and delivers the word of God? Oh, we can do a little better. Come on, family. Come on, family. There it is. There it is. There it is. And, and don't miss the hair. Don't miss the hair, everybody. The really? hair. Really? All right. That's enough. That's enough. Really? <laughs> in, in the house of the Lord? Y'all pray for your pastor. Pray for me. So, good morning, OCC. How are you? I'm so glad to be with you. I think this is like my first weekend teaching uh, since we've been back. And it's just been like a long six months. 2020 has been busy, huh? been busy but I'm glad to be with you and this has been such a great series I think it's 
practical. You can never talk about faith enough. The disciples heard it all the time from Jesus. It's so much, uh, it's so critical to our journey as, as believers that this bold faith thing has been really good. Um, so I want to jump right in. <clears throat> and uh, I really was glad to get to come teach. And I, it, maybe it's just the Lord. So the ladies, you're going to get tired of hearing me because we have Wednesday Bible study. But um, we, we, um, when he asked me Tuesday, normally it is a little bit of a fight. And I feel like I have to explain my life to him. You know, I have kids. I'm tired. It's not enough time. And he's always like, you have kids. What do I have? I was like, you have a wife with kids. We talk about this all the time. <laughs> so, um, but he has been very accommodating. And his voice did sound a little a little horse. And so the Lord is working on my submissive heart. And Lord, listen, after 20 years, he asked and it wasn't a fight. So hold on. That's the, that's the point of today's message, <laughs> just to hold on. Uh, but this, this faith thing has been a really good topic. And it's really, uh, when you think about what faith is, it's taking big risk for something or someone. And obviously, as believers, we're called to take those risks for God. But, you know, I'm a lover of documentaries. And I love biopics. And I recently watched one. Uh, one thing about this pandemic, I've had a little bit of uh, TV time to catch up once my kids go to bed, because before then, all I knew was Paw Patrol and Dora the Explorer. And I was like, oh, there's adult programming for grown people. <laughs> so I've been able to catch up on some documentaries. And I watched one called Get On Up. And it is the documentary, the biopic of James Brown and his life. And he might not have been your cup of tea. You know, I mean, he had a little dance moves and stuff. But uh, I always thought he was just entertainer, singer, uh, great dancer. I knew he had uh, a lot of history. But this documentary gives you some behind-the-scenes look at his life. And uh, out of this documentary actually came an article called The Night James Brown Saved Boston. And so I was trying to figure out what in the world they were talking about. Let me watch the whole movie so I can see what's going on. And what happened was in the movie, um, it was April 5th, 1968. It was the day after Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. And James Brown had a concert scheduled in Boston Garden. And um, the promoters and the, the mayor, all the city officials were like, we have to cancel this concert. There was so much emotional unrest after the assassination of Dr. King. Um, it, Everybody was in an uproar, black, white, Hispanic, anybody that was in the nation that was starting to be a part of the civil rights movement was really, really devastated. And they were very afraid there were going to be riots and all kinds of craziness happening in the city. And so they said, hey, we're not going to have some event for you to gather up 15,000 people when we're trying to just maintain control. And so they were ready to cancel it, start refunding people. And James Brown says, no, 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 we'll still have the concert. They're like, are you crazy? Do you know how badly this could go? And not only could people get hurt, people could die. It would look bad for you and your career and his career. He was just like a couple years into the, the highlight of his co career. And so he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this chance. We're going to do it. Don't refund the tickets. Tell them they can come. I'm going to show y'all that we can, we can conduct ourselves well, and music is really what brings us together. And so, y'all, he has this concert with thousands and thousands of young people, this integrated concert. He had an integrated band. And the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and there was tons of unrest in the country, James Brown took a risk and gathered thousands of people around music, and there was no incident. There were a couple of things that almost kind of set off a little bit, but even though he didn't have a lot of police uh, there, he and his band would stop the songs, and they would say, hey, y'all got to be calm. We, we got permission to be here. Y'all got to be quiet. And so over and over again, he kept managing the concert, and when they asked him why he did it, he said, because sometimes it's worth the risk to prove people wrong. 
And so I thought it was fascinating uh, the risk that he was willing to take. You know, the Godfather soul willing to take a risk on his career, on his reputation, his popularity, uh, what, what could have gone badly in a really uh, emotionally heightened time. And I thought if, if this man in a really a sensitive time in our country could take a risk for something like that, then how much more risk are we called to take on behalf of God? Because that was a great moment, but it was a moment. And God has called us to take risks that will impact eternity. Like they will outlive us, not, not just that moment, not just those lives, but will impact eternity. We're called to take God-sized risks. We're called to think secondly about our reputation and our success and think what will bring God glory. And I wonder how many of us are, are taking risk or have a, a lifestyle that facilitates bold faith, where we're taking risks that glorify God and change the lives of others. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to look at a very familiar story, but it's the life of Rahab, y'all. And Rahab, that's my girl. And so if you were not churched and didn't grow up with the pristine spiritual heritage, then Rahab might be somebody that resonates with you too because she certainly was not a church girl. But her story is loaded with lessons of bold faith. And so we're going to just walk through a few today. The, the Old Testament is hard to get through quickly sometimes. I was messing with my husband last week or week before. He had like 11 points or something on his message. I said, you're not going to get through 11 points. You know, time, time challenged. And so... Um, he, he got through them, and uh, as I was convincing him that I was going to have just a few points, I ended up with eight, which <laughs> it's not quite the three I had in mind, but it's good stuff, and so we're going to try to get through it. But the handout is in your app. Uh, Rahab has so impacted us uh, that I think it's just going to be worth digging in, and we're going to try to stay on time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, <laughs> so we're going to jump right in. Joshua chapter 2. It's where we'll spend most of our time a little bit in Joshua 6. But Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, very first verse starts out. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And before we get into the details of Rahab's story, the, the thing that stands out to me, just the first line of this very first verse, that Joshua, the son of Nun, who sends spies to spy out Jericho, that God is already showing us that any individual faith story is only a smaller part of a bigger story. Rahab would have no idea the role that she would play in Joshua's history. Joshua couldn't have any concept of the role he would play in Israel's history. So Joshua's just coming off of a conversation with God in Joshua chapter 1 because Moses has died and God has challenged Joshua to be strong and courageous. He says, wherever you go, wherever your soul treads, I will be with you. I will keep my promises. You'll have victory because of me. He's setting Joshua up. And now we get to chapter 2 where Joshua's going to spy out Jericho that's already been promised to God. So what we're about to see next that happens in the life of Rahab, even though it's significant, it's still a small part of a bigger story. And so we have to understand that when God is calling us to make faith moves, that it's not just about our lives, that God is allowing us to partner with him to be a part of this grand scheme. Because every instance of faith will always involve two elements, the supernatural and the natural. It will always involve God and man. And God in his graciousness allows us to partner with him 
so that we can glorify him and show the world who God really is. And so we have this, this privilege to be able to partner with God, understanding that our bold faith is still only a small part of a bigger story. Just a couple of weeks ago when we were celebrating our church anniversary, Conway and I always like to kind of sit back and reminisce and think about uh, what this church has meant to us and how significant it's been to us. We love to hear stories because we talk to many of you when we get stories around anniversary time of people telling us how they came to join one and why they're here and how one has impacted them. And when I hear those stories, I'm not only grateful for those moments, I'm also very aware that they are small parts of bigger moments. That when I hear that individual story, I know they're only here because we took a step of faith to start a church. I know we only did that because we had parents and pastors that poured into us because they were living out their faith and they had people that poured into them. And so when you think about what God has called you to in this moment in time, do not be so myopic that you think it starts and stops with you. Because if you say no to the opportunity that God has for you, if you miss the moment to step out on both faith, it will not derail God's plan, but it will eliminate your participation in it. And so understanding that your faith move is a part of a bigger story gives us some motivation when, when our insecurities and fears can get the best of us. Second thing you need to understand, here's our second point, bold faith doesn't require a perfect resume. Somebody needs to say amen right there. Bold faith does not require a perfect resume. Listen, the second part of chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now listen, this is family hour, so we're not going to get into the details of her profession. But, but don't, don't let people whitewash this and make you think she was an innkeeper and she was a host. She wasn't running Marriott. Okay, this Rahab had a significant, she had a very clearly defined and understood profession, which by the way, made sense in the context of her culture. She grew up, she was surrounded by a very pagan and highly sexualized culture. So this profession would not have been the exception. This would have been the norm and she probably would have been very profitable. This was a godless group of people that she was a part of. But this is who she was. Now I find it interesting that every time the Bible mentions her, well, almost every time, they tell us who she was. Now, it, we see Rahab the prostitute in Joshua chapter 2. In Hebrews eleven thirty one, 31, which we'll get to later, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Joshua six twenty five. but Rahab the prostitute. I'm like, my Lord, why she can't be Rahab the redeemed? We can't, because, you know, we love to be like, you know, he changed my story. Uh-huh. He gave me a new name. Well, let me tell you something. He don't always give you a new name. Sometimes he gives you a new heart, but lets you keep your old name so you can understand what he's done in your life. And this is the word of God. So everything in the Bible is God breathed and inspired and fully authoritative and fully correct. So God oversaw the fact that her old label would be attached to her name. But it didn't change who she was. It didn't change her faith opportunity. Because praise God, we don't have to have a perfect resume to walk in bold faith. It doesn't matter who you were, who you've been, what you've done. And here's what's better than that. Sometimes God will allow people to keep that label on you because every time they talk about who you used to be, it shows off who he is and who you are today. And so it's okay if you're the one whose parents got divorced. It's okay if you're the foster child, the one who was incarcerated, the one who was laid off, the one who was homeless, the one who suffered from infidelity, the victim of abuse, the victim of abandonment, the one who didn't have a father, the one who struggled with health, the one who got pregnant before she got married, the one who couldn't find a job. It don't matter. 
Because all of those things, it's almost like the more raggedy your resume, the better God looks. Sometimes he's going to leave the label, okay? Because your faith is not dependent on how people see you. Your faith only requires obedience. So you can save your energy. It don't matter what they call you. It don't matter how they see you. Bold faith does not require a perfect resume. Can I point you to my boy Paul, who's one of my favorites in the Bible? And I don't want us to get it twisted. God didn't change Paul's name so he could forget his past. He changed his name so he could minister in his current context. He gave him a name that the Gentiles could connect to, but it didn't erase who he was. He says, Paul, I'm not going to wipe their memories. They're going to know while you're preaching this gospel, while you're going hard for me, they will still remember. This won't be generations. This will be people who just yesterday saw you overseeing the murder of people who loved me. They will still remember. They'll know who you are. And when you start talking about the gospel and they don't want to receive it because they know 12 minutes ago you were not for me, you better press on anyway. Because when you change people's lives, Paul, when you start churches, when you author this holy scripture, people will know that I'm God. Not because you've had a clean past, but because they know your resume. You don't need a perfect resume, church, to walk in bold faith. This is who Rahab was, but she shows us what it means to walk in bold faith. Number three, bold faith responds to the providence of God. Somebody say providence. In the chat, just type providence. So providence is a really interesting word that I want to kind of talk to you about real quickly. But let me read Joshua chapter two, four through seven. It says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So now these spies come to her house. They come to her wall, her house, which is on the wall. They come to her house. She lets them in. She hides them. Then some men from the king of Jericho come up on Rahab, and they ask her, what happened? We heard some men came up in here. What are the men? And she says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse 5, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So Rahab kind of, she kind of quick on her feet because she wasn't all the way honest here. But it says in verse uh, 6, but she had brought them up on the roof. The men, she actually had brought them up on the roof, hid them with stalks of flat that she had laid in order on the roof. Verse 7, so the men, the king's men, pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forge, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So now listen, the Bible is not condoning Rahab's lie. It's just reporting that she was not honest. But here's the thing. Uh, bold faith means you do the best you can with what you know. And so if you know better, you do better. But we get to see a pagan who knew something was different about this. And here's what Hebrews 11:31. we'll keep going back to that. Here's what it says. When it talks about the hall of faith and all the men and women who have gone before us and walked in notable faith. This is what it says about Rahab. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, uh, did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Y'all say friendly welcome. Now, when I read the story of Rahab and as we start to unfold her journey, you, you will see all of these amazing, risky, daring things that Rahab does. And what comes to mind when I think about why she would make the hall of faith in the Bible is not a friendly welcome. And so I'm sitting here going, now, why in the world is her faith move this friendly welcome? 
Okay, so she was hospitable. She gave him some snacks. I don't understand why this puts her in the hall of faith. But it's not just that, y'all. She was open and receptive and welcoming to something that might have been an opportunity out of the ordinary. Now, she might not have even known what she was responding to. But bold faith responds to the providence of God. Because why in the world would a woman who probably has mostly transactional relationships with men, mostly business-oriented relationships with men, probably not a lot of trust, doesn't have a history of having healthy relationships with men, brings two men, they come to her door, and instead of conducting business, instead of making a professional offer, she says, let me hide you, protect you, cover you, lie for you, give you an escape route, give you a place to rest. What would make somebody go against the norm? It's providence. It's providence. Now, there's a difference between providence and provision. God's provision is the tangible thing. It's when he puts the meal on the table. It's when he puts the paycheck in your hand. It's when he brings the healing to your body. But the providence is when he just puts the right doctor on staff for that shift. You might not know about it, but you better respond to it in faith. The providence is when he just happens to set you up for the interview and everybody else canceled. The providence is when he brings people to your door and they are normally a part of your business, but this time it's something different. Providence is what we respond to. Now, now the provision is great because we love Jehovah Jireh. We love the God who provides. But to accept God's provision does not require faith. Faith is acting on what you don't see. It's hoping in what you're just convinced of. Providence is saying God might be doing something. What's the opportunity? Here's what you need to ask yourself. God, am I waiting for you to come all the way through with provision that I can count and bank on? Or am I willing to respond to providence? What does providence look like in your life? Has he brought uh, an unusual conversation your way? Allowed you to interact with someone that you have no business interact? Put you at tables that you know you're not qualified for? put you in environments that don't make sense. How many people do I talk to? And I ask them, how did you get to Texas? How did you come to one community church? How did you find this job? And it's never the exact route that you think it's going to be. They happen to be visiting a cousin. And when the cousin was here, the cousin got sick. So they had to stay longer than playing and end up joining the church. And now it's always some story that doesn't make sense, but it's God's providence. And so sometimes, by the way, the providence is not going to always be positive. So don't just look for the sunshine. Sometimes it's going to be like Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery, but being betrayed by his brothers actually set him up for the greater blessing. Sold him into slavery, and he was obedient. Came under the rule of, a, un, of a, a, a king with an unfaithful wife. He was put in jail. And after all was said and done, the men who had sold him into slavery needed him, and he wasn't arrogant, he wasn't boastful, still served the Lord, and the Lord was glorified. Sometimes the providence, y'all, won't be positive, but you will reach a point in your story where you say what you meant for evil, the Lord has worked out for good. But we have to be able to respond to it. And we don't always see it. We don't always see it. Sometimes the thing knocking at your door is going to look like things that have come before, but it's different. And if you don't have eyes to see God's providence, it'll look like every other thing you've said no to. Rahab could have overlooked these men. I don't know what made her want to protect these men, hide these men, cover these men. Something in her was able to respond to the providence of God. And so we have to be looking for that church. Don't miss it because God will bring things to our door in unexpected ways. So God, give me a heart 
to respond in faith to your providence. Here's our, th- here's our fourth point. <clears throat> Bold faith can be birthed out of fear. Oh, Lord. I didn't think I'd like this point personally, but it's in the Bible. It's not my fault. Bold faith can be birthed out of fear. Now, that's not the place we want to live, y'all, but hear me out. Still in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I love Rahab because, y'all, she's not, she didn't come to play any games. She said, y'all go up there and get comfortable while I go tell these men y'all ran off. But before they lay down, before they close out, she's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. We, we need to talk about some things. This is, it's not all the way no strings attached. Hold on, we need to talk about some things. I have some negotiations. So she came up to the roof and said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. Though the fear of Israel and how God had been with them had fallen upon the people of Jericho and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And in verse 11, she says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, I'm not going to even get into the fact that Rahab had come to know the Lord without a church gathering, without a track, without a walk to the altar. She didn't go to youth camp. She didn't go deliverance service. She saw the work of the Lord and her heart responded. That's what Romans chapter 1 says God does for every man, that God displays himself, his power, his nature, his attributes, and every person has the ability to respond to him. And this is what she's showing us, that even in her fear, she said, our hearts melted. We were afraid because of this God you serve. We don't know a lot, but we know it don't make sense that millions of people walked on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea, but everybody else stayed afraid, and they carried on with their pagan lives that was happening in Jericho. But Rahab let her fear move her toward faith. Now, there's some things that you might be praying away, asking God to get rid of because it speaks to your insecurities and it speaks to your fear. And God is saying, I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to camp out here. But there are some things that I need to keep you on the edge about because that's what drives your faith. We pray different when our loved one is on their hospital bed and we're afraid. We pray differently when, when, the, when the, the layoff has lasted longer than we had saved up for. We pray differently when we in year six, seven, eight of the marriage and nothing's changing. We pray differently when we're not sure what's going on with our kids or when our, when our finances are tight. We pray differently, y'all, when the fear is there. So don't, don't, don't ask God to fix everything that makes you afraid. Sometimes the thing that makes you afraid is driving you toward a faith move. He's saying, I need, you to feel un- I need you to feel a little unstable, a little unsteady, because then you'll lean on me. It- it's like, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I-, I say I'm a former roller coaster rider. Any former roller coaster riders in the room? Anybody in the chat, former roller coaster riders? Now, I say former because I still like roller coasters in my heart. But as I've gotten older, when I see them, I just, I just think about a trip to urgent care or a copay, a deductible. You start thinking about adult things, last will and testament. Will my children be taken care of? If this don't go right, you start looking at construction. Can I see an engineering certificate on this particular roller coaster? How long has this been operating? And how long has this operator been on this shift? You just know too much. You know too many questions to ask. But when I used to ride roller coasters fearlessly, I would get in there and I'd have my arms up, y'all, ready for all the, the dips and turns of that roller coaster. And it would be all great when it started out. But you hit that first hill. And you like, Jesus, 
I will call upon the Lord. <laughs> you start calling on the name of Jesus. And here's what's funny. Your hands go from being up to now you're afraid and you holding on for dear life to the rail, to the handlebar, to your seatbelt, to the stranger next to you. You holding on for dear life because now you're scared and you're like, wait a minute. I didn't map this part out, but here's what's interesting about a roller coaster ride, y'all. Whatever you holding on to was there when the roller coaster took off. You just didn't pay attention to it till you got scared enough. Because sometimes in this life, things that God already has at your disposal, his faith, his joy, his peace, his truth, you don't pay attention to until you get scared enough. So there's going to be some things he allows in your life. Your heart's going to melt. Fear will be in your life, not so you can be intimidated, not so you can live afraid, but so you can move in bold faith to the next thing. We hold on different when we're a little bit afraid. It's okay. It's okay to go to work every day and just hope to God that they keep you there. It's all right, because you might act right. You might be on time. You might show up right. You might live with some ethics. It's okay. It's all right. That fear can drive our faith, y'all. We, God didn't call us to this comfortable life. And just because we don't have a spirit of fear does not mean we do not experience fear. And just because we don't live in fear does not mean that fear is not a tool of the Lord. So don't be looking for the fearless, easy life. Sometimes he's going to stir up that insecurity because that should make you lean in bold faith. He said, okay, are you listening now? Because you listen different. Right? When someone's sick, when you need something, you're like, God, whatever you need, I'll say yes. We start negotiating. He's like, oh, okay, I, I wanted this yes eight years ago, but if this is what it took, that's what he'll do. Because that yes comes easy if you just do this one thing, God. If you get me out of this one thing, you driving and you see those lights in the rearview mirror. Jesus, seatbelt, speed limit, 10 and 2. You're like, Lord, whatever you need, I will call my mama. I will, I'll apologize to that person, even though they were wrong. You're just willing to do all kinds of things. And then when those lights pass you and it wasn't for you, whoo, Jesus, you, you know what? You're back to speeding. You drive the speed limit about two more miles until they're out of sight. That's what happens. That's, you know it's the truth. You're like, are they going? Oh, whoo, Jesus. Back to driving text and tell my girl, I almost got pulled over. That's why God got to keep you. He got to keep some fear in you. Because we don't act right when we're comfortable. We don't act right when we're comfortable. So everything that's bad that's happening to you is not the enemy. Okay? God is greater than the enemy. If he's letting it happen, let it move you toward bold faith. Number five, bold faith is supposed to affect your entire family, your whole family. Y'all say whole family. Now, just real quick, I need to let y'all know that Rahab was a, was a master negotiator. She says in verse 12 of chapter 2, Now, she's talking to the men, the spies, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with not me, but what does she say? My father's house. Everything that I'm under, this protection, this covering. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters. And then she says, and all who belong to them. 
all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab is like, I'm not going to just negotiate my welfare. I am concerned about everybody in my house and even those who are attached to my family, my play cousins, my God brothers and sisters. I want everybody to be delivered because bold faith is supposed to affect your entire family. And if what you're asking for God is only for you, then you should not be surprised when it does not come through. If God gives you a rescue and comes through and blesses you and it ends with you, what is really the point? Bold faith is supposed to affect your entire family because we all, whether it's by blood relation or by people who loved us and cared for us, we have benefited in some way, even when we don't know it, the people who have covered us in prayer. Y'all, I had a praying grandmother. I mean, I had a praying grandmother and I got a college degree to prove it. Because there were some days in those college classes where I was like, I know I was up too late and I know I didn't study and manage my time right. But my grandmother would a calendar. She would know when I was taking tests. She knew my dates. And then somehow the spirit of the Lord would move over that test. And I would get the score back and be like, what? It was only you, Jesus. And she would call and say, how was your test? Because I was praying. I'm like, that's why. That's why I got those answers. And sometimes I was where I shouldn't be. And my mom would call and just say, I don't know why, but you were on my mind. I'm thinking about you like, Jesus, it's, you didn't feel free. Because when you have bold faith, it's supposed to affect your whole family. You are not supposed to be the only one blessed. It's supposed to be something that affects everyone that's around you. Now, here's the problem. You got to ask who's in your house. Who's in your house? Who are you blessing? Who is close enough to you that when the Lord blesses you, they're going to get the residue of it? If you isolated and you just do life by yourself, it's just me and my family or me and myself. I don't do people. Well, then everything that God gives you cannot go any further. And we were called to be a blessing to other people. Your bold faith, she didn't even ask for her own provision. She's like, if you would just bless my father's household and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, who belongs to you? Because when we are receiving the goodness of God or being challenged to walk in our faith, it exposes who our family is. I know some of y'all don't like your real bloodline family, but we're going to put through that. We, but still, in the family of God, we can get over it. Some of y'all, I know, I've talked to some of y'all. Family wanted to have a gathering, and you're like, it's COVID. <laughs> and then you want to know who's there. Well, who's, who's coming? Because you have some family that act right. You know, they wear their mask and they, they act right. You have some family that's at pool parties. And you're like, uh-uh, she can't. if she come, uh-uh. Tell me when she leaves, then I'll come. Because you don't want to be around them. You love them, but you're like, uh-uh. But you don't have to like them. You don't have to like them to want to cover them. You don't have to like them to want their lives to be changed. How many times are we on our knees and the thing we're asking for, we're also asking God, how will you be glorified Whose life will be blessed if you do this for me? If you don't have an answer to that question, then why should he answer? Who will be changed, God, if you do this for me? Just you? That's a short-sighted faith, church. We're called to a bold faith. It's supposed to affect our entire family and all those that belong to us. Number six, bold faith is anticipation that leads to action. Ooh, listen, y'all, Rahab playing zero games, okay? Bold faith is anticipation that leads to action. Let me look, let me show you Joshua chapter 2, verse 18. Now, the spies are in this negotiation with Rahab, and she's saying, hey, I need you to pray to everybody, all my people. Now, here's what the spies say back to her in verse 18. They say, unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window, 
through which you let us down and gather to yourself into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. You do this. They said, if you want to be saved, when we come back here, you better have this scarlet cord tied into your window, the window that you let us down through. Make sure my thing is going to work right. So she has tied this scarlet cord up. Because look what happens in verse 21. It says, and she said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, let me tell you why this is significant. Because as soon as they gave her the action to take, she did it. And it wasn't because the rescue had happened. She's taken the action, but still has to live in anticipation of when the rescue is going to come. Now, there's some actions that God is calling us to take, and we don't want to take the action based on the promise. We want to wait till the whole thing is filled out. And God is saying, you won't even take the first step. You want me to do the other 10, and I can't get you to take the first one. Because remember, faith is a partnership. So, y'all, she takes this action. She's got this scarlet cord hanging out the window. Now, here's the anticipation that you might miss if you're just reading through the story of Joshua. Because the privilege and the beauty of the Bible is that I can sit down in just a few minutes, read years of someone's life. See, the Bible, when you just go in chapter and verse, you miss the chronology of someone's life. What actually happened was after she put this scarlet cord out the window, y'all, guess what? The spies were in the hills for three days so they wouldn't get caught by the king of Jericho. So three days had passed there. Then it took them another day to get back to Shittim, where the camp of Israel was. And then it took another day for them to get to the Jordan. And then God did a miracle at the Jordan. They, had the, they were at the Jordan for three days. And then they had to travel one or two days to Gilgal. And then while they were there, they celebrated the Passover. And while they were there, God said, Joshua, as a, sh- as a, as a, sh- as a sign of the covenant, I want you to circumcise the entire nation. So all the men of Israel got circumcised after they crossed the Jordan. And the reason why this is especially important in the story of Rahab is because this is not when infants get circumcised and they heal in a few days. This is adult men who were circumcised at God's command. So now you're talking about weeks. Weeks, y'all. And she's like, I know they said they were coming back. Have you ever had to wait for God? Has the timing ever been a little different than what you thought it was going to be? Have you ever been like, God, are you, has so much time ever passed where you're not even sure if that's what God said? God, did I make that up? Maybe, maybe, maybe I wasn't hearing you right. Has so much time passed where you're like, well, maybe I should quit wanting it. You change your desire because you're not even sure if God's going to do it. You don't want to risk the embarrassment. You don't want to risk God not coming through. She had to keep the cord out, y'all. And guess what happened? They get to Jericho. Now, remember, her house is on the wall. It's strategic. That's another sermon that God positions you for provision. But her house is on the wall. So she can see when they get there. She's like, ooh, they here. People, pack your bags. I'm not telling you again. Pack your bags. The people are coming. I see the army. And what do they do, y'all? They march around in circles. No weapons out. They just marching around in a circle. I know she was probably like, what are they doing? I thought, I thought this was, you know, come on, here we are. Get, get me out of here. They did that day one. It's cool. I love the Lord. You heard my cry. Day two, really, Lord? Day three, four, five, and six. Then day seven, it starts to look a little different. You're like, oh, okay, at least I hear some singing. Brought the choir out. Got the band, trumpets. Okay, it's going down. Still no weapons. Nope, just worship service. Walking around in a circle. And I know she's like, now, I don't think this is how the Red Sea went. I, don't, I wonder, does God, I wonder. I know y'all don't do this, but I wonder, did she question if God knew what he was doing? Yeah. 
Have you ever been in a situation and you know how the thing is supposed to work out because you know how battles are won? And then God comes in, he's got people walking around in circles and singing songs. And you're like, God, I've never seen victory come this way. And he's saying, I don't want you to try to predict how I'm going to do it. She had to wait without knowing the deliverance date. She had to wait without knowing when the thing was going to come to pass. And let me tell you how it got even worse. When she saw the people who God was going to send to deliver her, they still weren't moving in the way that would have made sense. She had to keep the cord out. Let me tell you why that's hard, y'all, because keeping the cord out might alert someone that you're waiting on something. Somebody might know that you're waiting on God to meet a need, to answer a prayer, to provide something, and you got to keep the cord out. Keeping the cord out reminds you that you're waiting on God because we try to tell ourselves after God don't answer for a while, you know what, maybe, maybe this is just not for me. Maybe this is not for me. I see everybody else getting blessed. That's that's all the blessing he's going to do. Let me pull my cord in. You know what? I don't need to be married. I, it's really not even a desire anymore. I don't need to have kids. I don't, I don't need to be healthy or pain-free. It's fine. It's fine, Lord. He's saying, keep the cord out. And when everybody's asking you, why are you not angry? Why are you not depressed? Why are you not sad? Everything in this world is telling you, pull the cord in and do it your way. God says, keep the cord out because I'm coming. I need you to take action, but also still wait with anticipation because I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. The cord is the marker and the identifier for you and your faith to know that you are standing on the word of God. She kept the cord out, y'all, but let me tell you, it got even more interesting. And, And point seven, bold faith finds peace in the plan of God. In chapter six, now that they're there, verse 15 it says on the seventh day, they rose early and they marched that on that day around the city seven times. Verse 20, the people shouted. We know what happened. The walls fell down flat. And then it says the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They took the city. And then in verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who spied out the land, go into the harlot's house. She still don't have no name. Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out there as you have sworn to her after they took the city. Then they went into Rahab's house. So they they walked for six days. They sang for a whole day, a long worship service. Don't y'all complain about how long church is. Uh, Some some things happen. Anyway, so they're walking around the city. They worship. Then they come in the city. The, the walls fall. And she's like, oh, now, now, okay, now is the time. They rush in the city, y'all, and they rush past her because they took the city first before they saved her family. Now, I wonder, have you been in a situation where it felt like all of God's blessings were passing you by? And you were wondering, when is God going to hear my cry? I thought I was walking in faith. You know what? If they pass me, that must be the one thing God's going to do. Let me pull my cord back in. He said, I need you to keep the cord out. You don't know how I'm going to do it. You don't know when I'm going to do it. You don't know what it's going to look like. And as a matter of fact, while your cord is out, I want you to rejoice with everybody else that I'm blessing until I bless you. I want you to still have a good attitude. I want you to still be loving until your spouse, even if she hasn't changed. I still want you to parent your children well. I still want you to tithe even though you're not working. And people say that don't make any sense. And you say, but every dollar I get, God's getting at least 10 cents out of it because I know I have nothing without him. I'm going to keep my cord out. And when society says, can you read the news? All of these things should make you mad. Where is your God? You say, I will not live by my feelings. I will walk by faith. I will keep the cord out. Because bold faith says I find peace in whatever God's plan is, y'all. Peace in whatever God's plan is. Now, I don't know how many of us plan 2020 to be this way. 
And while we can list many things that have gone wrong with 2020, it's not all bad. Some of us know that being forced to stay home has brought out some things in our families. Marriages that weren't as nice as we thought they were, they had to be tested. And guess what? That's good. God says, we're not going to fake this for another 10 years. We're going to deal with this. Your, nobody else is going to raise your kids. Awana and sports is not going to raise your kids. You're going to raise your kids. You, you know what? You can't make yourself busy when you're not content and just travel and have vacations because you love living your single best life. I'm going to make you be at home and think about it. I want you to be okay with the life I've given you, not the cover-up. I don't want you to busy yourself just because I'm not blessing you the way I want you to. I don't want you to distract yourself. Sit home and be devoted to me. Know your life, be present, and still be okay with it. And you know what? You thought your job was providing for you, but when I took that away, you still got, got what you need, right? You didn't know you were going to have that until the pandemic came along. So everything God plans is not going to be the way you would have planned it. When you ask for more time with your family, when you ask for peace of mind, you weren't saying, God, please send a pandemic. But he knows how to do one thing for a million reasons. So you have to have peace with the plan of God. Because it rarely is going to make sense to you. Because if it did, he wouldn't be God. He'd be man. And the Bible says his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we have the ability to walk in faith. So bold faith finds peace in the plan of God. And lastly, bold faith produces legacy because of consistency. Ooh, y'all. I'm about to close. It produces legacy because of consistency. We are obsessed with legacy in this culture. And it's usually because we're trying to make a name for ourselves. How can I leave this for my kids? How can I be great? How can I be known? But the Bible tells us that legacy is not produced that way. Legacy is only a hindsight reflection on who you were consistently when you had moments to live by faith. Let me tell you what Joshua 6.25 says. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua was saved alive. He, she lives in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out. Hebrews 11.31, we know by faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. But can I give you one better when it comes to legacy? Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 says, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And if you work your way down that line, you'll find yourself landing at Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what legacy does. Legacy is something that God gives you from consistent character. Because the day that Rahab made her faith move, her bold move in faith, she did not know that once she got redeemed, she would end up marrying a man who would redeem a woman named Ruth, who would end up giving birth to our Redeemer. It don't get any better than that. And at this point, who cares about your resume when you have legacy like that? Who cares? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, guess who she's not? She's not Rahab the prostitute. She's Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Rahab, the grandmother of Obed, the great-grandmother of Jesse, the great-great-grandmother of David. When God is ready, he'll change your label in his time, for his glory, for his purpose. He will do it. Is your court out? I want to know if somebody's cord is out. And can I tell you that faith is always about putting God on display? Can I tell y'all one more thing? Faith is always about putting God on display. 
Nobody mentions that this cord is scarlet except the spies. For Rahab, it's a rope. But for the spies, they say, I want you to buy this scarlet cord. You know why they said scarlet? They knew what this red meant. They knew what it meant. They knew just like the blood had to be on the doorpost in Exodus chapter 11 for you to be passed over by the death plague. You got to have a symbol of sacrifice. This is how your salvation is going to come. They knew that anything dyed red had to come from one source in that time period, a worm called the crimson worm. Y'all don't know about the crimson worm. Let me tell you something. We have a picture of it. There's a crimson worm, y'all, that lived in that time. And this is what this worm would do. This worm was long like a caterpillar. And it would, when it was the mother was time to have babies, that, that worm would attach itself to a tree or a fence post or bed itself in a piece of wood. It would change its body into a hard protective shell. Then the mother would have babies. The babies would be under the shell that was immovable. The babies would be protected while they were young. And then the babies would feed on the mother's body. It would kill the mother she could only have babies one time soon as they fed on her and she died then her body would ooze and emit a crimson stain so what would happen is the babies would be stained with her crimson blood and then the tree that she was on would be stained as well so everywhere she went you would know what used to be there and can I tell you what Jesus did for us on the cross he says, I will live my life in perfection. I will cover you. And if you believe in me, and if you follow me, if you choose me, I will stain you with my blood. You will be my legacy. You will have new identity. And even before the cross, the Bible has always pointed to the power of the blood of Jesus. So we put our bold faith on display. Not because Jesus is the latest accessory. Because the blood is the only way you even have the ability to live in bold faith. It's all about putting God on display. Before he changes your marriage, keep the cord out. Before he fixes your kids, keep the cord out. Before your bank account changes, keep the cord out. When your family is still struggling with their health, keep the cord out. When your mental health don't seem like what it used to be, keep the cord out. When you hear people whispering about you in your life, you keep the cord out. When it don't make sense, you keep the cord out. When the enemy tries to bring up your resume, you tell him, I know it, and I still can walk in faith. You keep the cord out, church. Because let me tell you what this world needs to see. Men and women stained by Jesus. Men and women live in legacy because of Jesus Christ. This world will not be saved by the number of followers and likes. They will not be saved by your reputation, by your popularity. This world needs to see what it means to walk in faith when it doesn't make sense. We don't need bland faith, y'all. We need salt and light. Do I have somebody willing to walk in some bold faith today? I know that right now, wherever you are, in this room or in the chat, there is something God has already put on your heart to say yes to. And it might not be popular. And it might not make sense. And you might not see the plan unfold. But keep the cord out. There's no time limit on prayer. There's no expiration on rescue. Keep the cord out. God can do it. And that is my prayer for you today. In Jesus' name.
Come on, we can do better than that, family. We can do better than that. service like this, with people watching at home like this, I know that there's somebody right now that needs to keep the cord out. See, I'm, you know, if you're not in the room, there's, there's a couple sitting on the front row today. Now, because I know their story, they got to keep the cord out. Because they got some bad news about their son. tore up all week long. And the only hope they have this week is to keep the cord out. I know there's a business leader that you need to keep the cord out. You think your business is not going to make it through this, but God is saying, you're not like those who have no hope. Keep the cord out. He's not going to do it the same way he did it in the past. Keep the cord out. I know there's some of you who you're in your single life and you won't keep the cord out. I know there's some of you that are on drugs, that are on some form of addictive behavior. And God has said, I'm going to deliver you out of that. All I need you to do is keep the cord out. I know some of you struggling maritally. I know a lot of you because I talk to you and, and, and it's been tough. And I'm telling you, your assignment, whether your spouse wants to do it or not, is to keep the cord out. Because your God loves you enough and he's going to deliver you out of it. So whatever you find yourself in today, will you just trust your God like Rahab did, knowing that he loves you enough and he wants to deliver you out of the situation that you find yourself in. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you need to make this bold move and say, God, I surrender all and I've I'm, I'm tried it my way. It has not worked. And if Rahab can trust God based on her faith and what she sees, saw happen in the past, you can do the same thing as well. Will you trust God today? There's some of you that have walked away and said, I kept this rope out and he did not deliver me. I've been trying to have kids and he didn't give me what I want. Here's what I'm going to tell you today. There is nobody greater that you can trust than Jesus Christ himself. No matter the pain, no matter the weight, I want you to trust Jesus Christ and keep that cord out. So if you're wandering away from God and you want to come back, today's the perfect day for you to come back to Christ. If you're in the house today, and you want to come back to God, then I want you to come up front and I want you to stand here. If you're at home, I want you to click the next step, take the next step button, and I want you to make your decision. I want you to make your decision. And I want you to come back to Christ today. So if you don't know Christ and you want to come, I want you to come. If you know Christ, but you've wondered, I want you to come down and I want you to say, God, here I am. I'm recommitting my life to you. If you don't have a church home and you're looking for one, we have a class that's going to start at 2 o'clock today. We want you to join that. Just go right there, take your next step, and they'll tell you all about it. But do not leave here today with your rope pulled up. I want you to keep the cord down. 
And I want you to say to God, God, I'm going to trust you. If it takes the rest of my life, I'm going to trust you. No matter what it looks like, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to keep the cord out. If you want prayer today, just go online and just type it up. Amen. Can you pray for me in this area? Can you pray for me in the area of my business, in the area of my kids, in the area of my finance, in my single life, in my, you know, whatever the situation is? Will you, will you just say that so we can join you in prayer? You want to go on pastor chat so somebody can talk to you? But don't just leave and say, I'm going to do it my way. Just take your next step so God can meet you right where you are. Heavenly Father, I just thank you right now for what, a, what an amazing reminder of faith. Bold faith. When nobody else in the camp, nobody else would trust Rahab did. And because of her, her whole family was saved. God, will you, will you help the people listening, each individual, customize your word to them right now, Holy Spirit, so they can take their next step. Even if nobody else will take it with them, I pray you give them the courage to do so. And God, if there's somebody here that don't know you, bring them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, will you help me honor God one more time for this amazing word that he has deposited into you? Come on, family. Come on. We're not talking about a person. We're talking about God. And if you got fed today, if you got a meal today, a spiritual meal, let's honor God for that, everybody. Come on. Come on. Come on.